tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, film and music fans. Uh, Edith here. Welcome along to another episode of Soundtracking. Thank you very much indeed for choosing to listen to us. We know there is a wealth of listening opportunities out there, so we really appreciate that you are choosing to listen to us, whether you be a regular listener to the show or whether you be a first-time listener. It is lovely to have you along for the ride. Today, or this week's show, is it's a pretty special one, to be honest. It's our fifth birthday. Woohoo! Happy birthday to us. Um, I mean, the fact that we are celebrating five years, I'm absolutely blown away by because this podcast started five years ago with Ben and I, who still works on the show. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Ben. It started because we wanted to have a conversation and celebrate the relationship, the very wonderful and brilliant relationship that music has with film and kind of look into how that relationship is so unique to each project. And I feel that we do that every week and every week is different because we obviously speak to a different person every week. But the conversation ranges from being quite intense and really getting into the nitty gritty of things with certain guests. And sometimes it can be a bit more kind of um, conversational around film and music. So I feel and I hope that we really provide an insight for all different levels of film fans. But across all of it, I really hope that you learn something from it. And more importantly, you enjoy listening to it because I can't tell you how much joy I get from making it. This really is um, my pride and joy when it comes to my work. I love making this show. I really hope that we can continue making this show for many years to come. And I am hugely indebted to Mr. Ben Backhouse, who works on the show with me. Um, and I know he'll, he'll be editing this and listening to this, as I say, and has no idea that I'm saying this. But Ben, um, thank you so much for the last five years and for your amazing work. I really couldn't have done this without you. And I hope I continue to be able to do this with you. So thank you so much for all your amazing work over the last five years. And um, this podcast is as much yours as it is mine. And it's down to Ben the way that it sounds. So I love listening to it because I do the interviews and I send the audio to Ben and he does his wizardry on it and adds all those beautiful colours and textures to the interviews to make them, to bring them to life and to make them really reference all those brilliant pieces of music so well. So Ben, thank you so, 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 so much. So then to celebrate our fifth birthday, we thought that we'd go back to where it all began by speaking to the one and only Mr. Ben Wheatley, who appeared on our very first episode of Soundtracking and joins us for his fifth sitting for our fifth birthday. So it feels perfect. And Ben is joined by his longtime producer, Andy Stark, to discuss his film In the Earth, which has made during lockdown with all the difficulties that that brought. Now, set during a deadly global pandemic, In the Earth tells the story of a scientist and a park scout who embark on a mission to find a renegade botanist 
conducting research into plant life deep in the woods. Much hallucinogenic mayhem ensues, referencing everything from Hammer Horror to Hanson Gretel and Doctor Who, not to mention Ben's previous work. In the Earth is scored by our very good friend, hugely talented Clint Mansell, and it's with his title track from the movie that we begin. doing thanks for your time no no worries thanks for doing it listen it's um i feel like ben you're like our lucky mascot to be honest yeah i'm sure you can see how lucky i am by looking at the uh, listening figures for each of the the ones (laughs) i'm on top 10 actually of all time so i think you'll find (laughs) yeah but it's five years in august since we started the podcast and you were our very first episode so eternally grateful mate eternally grateful Listen, I had the most amazing experience watching your film in the cinema at Picture House Central the other night. Cool. Oh, oh, it was so good. Oh, you know when you want to go into it? And I had deliberately, because you'd mentioned it when we spoke last October about it. You had, I've already filmed this other film. I'm like, what? How? What? <laughs> He's not telling you anything. It's horror. So I deliberately tried to kind of, you know, I'm not listening to anybody saying anything about it in social media and whatnot, because I just wanted to go in and, experience it and it was so many things you know when like babies sometimes like burp fart giggle and like do all that once like an explosion of the I kind of like not that I kind of did all that kind of thing (laughs) it's too much information really sorry yeah so yeah I mean I know you this is the fifth time you've been on the podcast but maybe that's too familiar but just the idea of of the unexpected and there's obviously knowing you as a filmmaker and a storyteller and, and, and how brilliant and real you can step into worlds. But I just thought it was so great. So congratulations. Oh, cheers. Well, thanks for, thanks for going and seeing it at the cinema. <laughs> oh, it's so, I love going to the cinema on my own. There's something absolutely liberating about going to the cinema on your own. We hadn't seen the film. In, we hadn't seen it finished on a big screen until about two weeks ago. No. 
because we well you couldn't we saw it obviously when we did the sound mix it was on a big screen when we mixed but we'd never seen it actually finished finished on a dcp in a cinema until ben did the tour last couple of weeks ago what was that like for you then it was very different yeah well it had been it'd been released in america already and we yeah. still hadn't seen it you know and it was odd the sundance was just a virtual festival obviously you know so it was you know, I, I just think it's just a totally different experience, isn't it? Obviously, it really is. And that's the whole point, you know, of concentrating for an hour and a half in a dark room on something is such a wonderful sort of, it's like a privilege now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy, we do feel privileged that you've joined us as well, because we've been trying to get you on here for, well, for years, quite frankly. <laughs> so I'm glad that you finally, finally came and joined Ben for this one as well, because You've got this relationship, you know, and really successful relationship of in terms of facilitating each other's kind of creative needs and wants, you know, in terms of the world of, of film sort of thing. And I, I just was really interested to to hear from you, Andy, particularly with this film and where we were in the world with Ben's kind of want and, you know, idea of making a film in this environment, what your initial kind of thoughts were and what your reaction is was as well to the, to the script. Yeah, I mean, it was it's an old book. I mean, we've always done it. That it's that weirdly independent thing, isn't it? And I always think of it a bit like like music or something. You know, you just think, well, you know, we want to make this thing. How do we do it? And I think we started because we'd spent years asking people's permission and or asking them for their money to do something. It just got totally had enough. And just well, okay, well, let's just do it ourselves then, because we just can't. And and you know, and you just get to a point where you sort of think, well, we know enough people how to do it. We sort of think we probably could. And then we did it with Down Terrace, and that's how that happened. So the, the economics of films are such an odd thing because you know they are really, really expensive to make, which means they've got to kind of come back the other way. So you know, that's my downfall. Is I always think about these things as kind of what you want to make or what you like or what you you know and it's just well this is what we like let's just try and do it and then you kind of say well, why is no one else interested that's a shame <laughs> but, anyway, but you, um you know and I think but we're always thinking in those terms of like what you know let's just we could just do this or do that and I think we've got to this point now where you know we're not seeking permission to do it we're just going to try and work out ways to do it and there's obviously there's different you know parameters and you know with money comes different things but certainly with this film we first started you know was, I mean a lot of it was iPhones wasn't it thinking about iPhones and the technology and again again even with Down Terrace you know that film swapped from being something we were seriously thinking about shooting on a on a VHS camcorder yeah being a proper professional digital camera because they suddenly existed and the whole iPhone world was really fascinating. And we were just thinking, well, okay, well, I guess we could do something, you know, and it kind of felt like there was going to be a window of opportunity in the summer where it might be okay to gather a bunch of people and do something. And then obviously, you know, Ben's huge skill is, is the pragmatism of things. And that that's the key, really. It's like, you know, it's just being pragmatic about what you can and can't achieve. And I think we're all, you know, we just do it because we like it and we like yeah. the impact of it. And, then it's about you know it's nice to get paid for doing it but that's not also the, that's not the only reason you know so we we just keep working out and that, so that film literally went from a lot of tests and playing and you'd been doing it with Nick and you were the DOP you Nick know Gillespie, with, yeah. with Nick Gillespie about you know what you can do with iPhones and then suddenly it was you know we actually weirdly got a phone call from Neon who I you know we sort of know a little bit saying kind of effectively there's no festivals there's no films we can buy we think you guys could probably make us a film amazing 
you know, and then I stupidly plucked a number out there that was obviously up there. They said, "Yeah, sure." I went, oh. <laughs> yeah, they agreed very quickly. You know, <laughs> they agreed fast. Add another zero on for Christ's sake. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, so it kind of then suddenly became, you know, so well actually we can do this as a as a proper low budget movie. It doesn't even have to be an iPhone thing, and it, and it just grew from there. So it's, it's it's pragmatism, you know. It's always thinking, what have you got? who will do it, and how do you make it work without compromising the thing? It looks and feels, and the experience of it is anything but low budget in terms of, you know, it's really funny because we moved out to Gloucestershire like just before the uh, pandemic hit sort of thing. So I spent a lot of time in forests and woods. <laughs> and But it's amazing how they, the inspiration that comes from that environment, it comes from nature and comes from, also, the time that you give yourself to pay attention to stuff. Yeah, and also that it's different every time you walk through it. I mean, we do a lot of dog walks and stuff through woods, and it's every every morning is different. And I think that's that's really interesting. It isn't. It doesn't have that kind of wearing you down like the urban experience does. It kind of it it, it can look very very. And also because obviously the seasons and stuff and all the the plant life is all changing every other day is a completely different set of things have popped up. <laughs> Yeah. Terrible secret of In the Earth is about 10 miles from Henley is where we shot it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you hide it well. You hide it well. But because the one thing that you did tell me when we spoke, when you mentioned this in October, was about the whole idea of plants communicating. And that's part of the story. So I was so intrigued when I to sit and watch it. And obviously you've got Clint's score and the sound design of the film are such they're I mean they're they're characters within it in themselves you know and they facilitate so many different needs and moods and and tension so I mean there's so many jobs that the sound and the music facilitate it's extraordinary and I heard you say that a lot of that was written into the script yeah I mean it's right up the front of the script isn't it the the fact that kind of like half the film is about music making really you know it's almost like a live concert that the one of the characters is is doing in the woods so that was part of it and it had come out of I guess it had come out of conversations with Clint and wanting to make something that you know when you've got the various elements of it and you're looking at a, a project and you're thinking well you've got like you've got this Clint Mansell element of it and you want to put that right at the front if you can. Also, because with Rebecca, we'd, we'd done this project which was a lot about underscore, consciously about underscore, and we wanted, to, and I wanted to make something that was going the other way, so the music was really in your face, you know. And yeah. so they were the first conversations with Clint, going just like, let's let loose, let's go, you know, it, it, you are the sound of the of the forest, the sound of the plants, you're the sound of Dr. Wendell, and all that, and we will, we will mix it right to the top of the movie, you know, and it won't it won't be hiding any of this stuff.
always I find that a lot. You know, you, you listen to soundtracks, you really like, like soundtracks, and then you watch the f- film, which is obviously the wrong way around of doing it. But then you watch the film, and you find that the uh, soundtrack's been mixed to oblivion underneath a load of chat. You know, and this really amazing music has disappeared. And I didn't want that to happen with this. I wanted it to be. And it's the same in the same way that the sound and the sound design by Martin Pavey is right at the front. So is things like the lighting effects and stuff are right. It's written into the script so you can justify showing it, basically. To what extent, though, are you are you writing it in the script in terms of the description of it and what it's because, like, you know, you've got Haley's character, you know, she's live DJing to this to this forest. It's amazing. You know, she's kind of like whenever I go out and DJ, which doesn't happen very often, obviously, at the minute. But I never plan a set. I always kind of like have a couple of records that I know I'm going to play, but then I'll just take shitloads of stuff from me because I want to sort of feel what they're, you know, what energy. And that's exactly what she's doing almost with this kind of, with this yeah. forest. She's kind of like, oh, well, it's brilliant. I love that. I'm hoping like with the with the DVD extras, there's like the kind of extended DJ set from Haley, like DJ into the tree. I mean, I really want to do a double bill with the thing with the the film, the other film that Andy had been working on at the time, uh, the Delia Derbyshire. Oh my god, yes! And it was weird; it was totally unplanned, but it seems like a very there's a very strong connection between the to the two movies. Really, you know, you know, rumor has it she did the Legend of Hell House soundtrack. If you know that by Delia Derbyshire, that's I mean, oh wow, that's really incredible. That film. The sound, the sounds are. Yeah, it was her and Brian Hodgson, although I think disputed as to who did what. But anyway, but it was it's an amazing 70s kind of haunted house movie that she did the soundtrack to. It was great. You know, I was thinking of, of things that I could that that for me were were references of things. It was everything from like Close Encounters to Doctor Who to kind of nature programs as well. You know, there's sort of everything's kind of in there. And I wondered if you did have any kind of reference points with regards to specifically what you were asking of 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 Clint. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was there was a lot of synth in there, and it, and some of that had come come from. You know, he was pulling stuff from um, thinking about Fulci and and the and kind of seventies Italian horror, yeah. But also just from the very and from Carpenter as well. But from the very core of it, of what it is, like a horror movie with not enough money to go and do uh, have Clint stuff orchestrated, it was always <laughs> going to be it was always going to be synth, and that's true to the form of what it is. You know, and I, what I really like about it is it's directly from Clint's fingers. Yeah, there's no filter.
yeah, there's no filter and it's it's him mucking about with and making his own sounds and making all that stuff and so that 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 was really important and and, and basically because it goes to the core of of horror soundtrack making you know and mm. i like it, the way it's so you know the, the the discordant stuff because you know that he did it with wiring up plants to convert the you know the, whatever plants do to like to a midi signal and then bio bioelectrical yeah put that in a amazing Him and Attenborough together on a show, that's what we need, isn't it? But he did an amazing job where he combined that kind of pure, you know, analogue chaos yeah. with the score, you know, because you wouldn't, it, it feels like it's it, the way it synthesizes together is, is so good. I think it's really. Yeah. And he really was, um, and, and we basically, I was working with him from, I guess, from um, around April time. So he'd seen very early versions of the script. And we were talking, and, but because of COVID, we had loads of time to prep. So I was getting demos. He was writing stuff all the time, you know. So we had hours of it um, early on of like of trying to find the sounds for it. And then just before we started shooting, just this email came from him with the whole score on it, which we wow. weren't expecting. He didn't tell us. And then it just turned out, we went, oh, oh, God, there's, hang on, there's 45 minutes of stuff here. And so that that made a big difference to the shoot. So because I, I, I was editing it as I was shooting it, but we were able to put the music on top of each scene as, as we went along. I mean, he re-scored oh. afterwards again, yeah. but the, the music we had initially was incredible. because you've obviously you know within the film we've got these speakers that are kind of wired up to the trees and stuff and those were you were you actually playing stuff out of those then because and was it Clint's stuff that he'd sent you yeah 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 we're wow. playing a lot of that out when, when we could because obviously yeah. there's a practicality with it because it ballses up um yeah uh, uh, the sound of the actors but when when is there was stuff like when um Reese Shearsmith is in, in all the strobes running around that that was all live music or uh, live Clint music being played in and I think it was um yeah it was pretty cool he was this guy who, he's an amazing guy who's in Finland and we got him to take all the sound the sound when we were sort of nearly mixed the film we got him to take the whole soundtrack out into the woods in Finland and re-record it back <laughs> to give us that sort of, it's kind of fun oh wow god I'd like to have gone on that trip that's amazing <laughs> so okay well the thing the thing is with that though what what he does is he speed you speed up the sound and then play it back really fast, but but um, record it at a high bit rate. And then when you play it back at the normal speed, it's then got all this <gasps> huge atmosphere on top of it. 
So the actual the recording wouldn't have been much fun. It would just been. You just stood there going, really intrigued to see what this film is. (laughs) Pound shop oldie water merchant. How much though do you think that that informed how you shot stuff or 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 how you edited? You know, in terms of what the film ended up being, having that in advance. Well, it gave me a lot of confidence because there's a lot of atmospheric stuff that we were shooting that can look like nothing. You know, like just people walking about. But yeah. once you start, start to put the music on it, you go, oh, wow, I really feel it. But there was a thing where, because we we'd taken over a hotel in Maidenhead. <laughs> and um, it's very glamorous. It was on a sort of motorway roundabout. Yeah. And uh, Love those, I was my talking favorites. to Nick Gillespie and he was saying, are we near a flight path? I'm like, no, no, Nick, I don't think so. And what it was was me playing back Clint's music so loud that it was making the whole <laughs> hotel vibrate because I had these huge, what were they? They were like monitor speakers, weren't they? Like um, studio monitor speakers. And they were so brilliant, these speakers. <laughs> Amazing. The sub bass would just make the whole place vibrate. <sighs> oh, I love that. When you stand, when we used to be allowed to go to gigs and you'd stand right at the front, right by the speaker and it would like, like almost vibrate your organs. It's amazing. Yeah. So good. Performances in this are brilliant. Just to come off music for a for a, for a second, small cast, but man, do they do they kind of punch you know punch you whenever they're on screen? I mean, Reese, obviously, you know, from working with them in the past, and I, I feel like you give people the opportunity to sort of not show off, but give performances that nobody kind of really kind of gives them an opportunity to do. And Haley's like the same as well. And I just think that I'd be interested to know if you had them specifically in mind when you were writing the script or if there was slight sort of you know attention to to who was going to be in those parts when you were fine-tuning the script Reese was always front of mind for it you know it's kind of based around that about around him just because a he knows so much about horror that what any horror thing he's in he elevates immediately you know so it's kind of that and I also just like working with him so I just write him in you know and then I think the Joel I'd worked with before on um, uh, Wrong Door. Like, we basically did our first jobs together years ago, which was really weird. I think he'd done one casualty or something like that, and I'd done a bit of a sketch show, and then we did, when we did Wrong Door together. So and I'd always been thinking about working with him again if I could. Um, so that was great that he was, he was around. And I think as an avatar for my uh, own kind of um, complete cowardice and incompetence. <laughs> I think he was, he, he, he worked really well, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and then, and then Hayley was obviously worked with Hayley before. So again, it was like any excuse to work with her. So, but, but she had a particular take on it, which we hadn't, you know, and I hadn't thought about, and there was something 
very hammer horror barbara Steele kind of thing that she brought to the whole thing which is brilliant you know which which we hadn't her playing the keyboard at the end she turns around is so <laughs> straight out barbara movie or something is great <laughs> yeah so it's so it's such a great performance really i can really. see it's funny when i'm on you know on set i can see ben enjoying performances i think you do don't you? yeah i love yeah. it yeah. that's you know it's it, that is the you know, cinema's not a script, and it's not. You know, it is the interpretation of stuff by by people, by actors, isn't it? Ultimately, I mean, that's why I think like things like dogma films work. You know, because it's ultimately what is important. You know, and and the importance is the the behind the eyes of what everyone are doing, isn't it? And you can have it, you can have as much as you like, but ultimately, what you're looking at is the eyes of the people saying stuff, or whatever, or the performance, or what they're doing. And, I think that's you know that's great fun just seeing it come alive. And I mean, I remember on things like on on Bursted, you know, where you've got Charles Dance and you've got um, you know Mr. Patterson them together in a room. You just think this is just amazing. You know, they're so yeah. good. Yeah, they do. Well, it's such a treat. It's a treat to uh, this film was a treat to just to get out of the house to start <laughs> to start with and to, be, to do a bit of work. To do you know? anything. Yeah. But it was but it was a massive treat to. It's always a massive treat to see to see people um working and it was stuff yeah. like it was it's joel's like management of pain yes <laughs> how he played pain across the we were just, i was like god i hadn't even thought about that how complicated that would be for him to do you know because he's got to make sure that it goes up a level each time and like and, and show different styles and flavors of it and i was like wow you know and often it's like a kind of not being an actor for me it's like a bit of a master class in acting whenever we do these jobs and watch watching people work is is amazing you know? yeah and the way that he almost kind of like tries to talk himself out of experiencing the pain every time as well it's so funny and that's the great thing about the film as well so it has this this kind of brilliant tone and i think both him and and Reese have got this brilliant ability with Reese in particular in this this character where you just don't know like if it's if he's being ironic if he's being you know it's like the tone is so precise in terms of this character who you can't he doesn't allow you to read him really at all because within within the space of a sentence he could flip from one thing to the next sort of thing it's it's so good yeah and it's a it's a different performance again from Reese as well I think for my money and and I think that 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 in itself is a is a minor miracle seeing as he's burnt through so many performances in um inside number nine over the last few years it's like there's so he's had to do so many different styles you know yeah it's bonkers really I mean I don't I wonder if there'd be actors that would have that many challenges that on top of each other so fast you know but all the so, he's so steeped in it, isn't he? That's that's what's so incredible. You know, you just know you, you kind of he gets it and he knows exactly what you want it to be and the tone of it. And the, he's an encyclopedia of all those kind of movies. You know them way better than we do. And it, but it's you just you just know spot on what he's going to do. You know, which is that's to have that confidence in someone is amazing. You know, it makes it so much easier. Is he based on anyone, Zach? What Zach? Yeah. Um, no, wanted. <laughs> yeah, no. He's, he's not really. No, I mean, you know, as ever, all the characters are usually me. So yeah, slightly scary. <laughs> <laughs> and you know where the door is, yeah. <laughs> he's um, even like the the his attire, you know, the hair and stuff as well. It's just which is quite immaculate in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it's. It's even though he's kind of you know it's it's long and strangly, There's an, there's a kind of there's a there's an attention 
Yeah, there's a va- definite vanity. There's a vanity there, there. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. Tidy tent. <laughs> That's the thing as well is the the immersiveness of it when you're in that and when he's going through all the different sections, pass through the tarpaulins and stuff, and it really you're kind of going, wait, wait, where are we? It's it's it's, it's a real kind of sensual physical experience because you're you're there, you're in it, and you're terrified. That's the uh, instant jello. Just put a couple of a red and a green tarp up. And then... <laughs> What was the initial catalyst for for writing this script, though, Ben, in terms of like, where did the idea, the idea of this story come from? It came from lots of different places, I guess. I mean, some of it was from reading about the kind of fungal network bits of the, of the, the end up in the film and, and just being amazed by that. And, um, and then that tying back to kind of having been through three years of like kind of mad politics of people telling all sort of bending truth, basically. And I, I like that those two things seem to kind of weirdly meld together in my head as I was as I was writing it and kind of thinking, oh, you know, it's... I think it was, yeah, it was like thinking, oh, the plants are so smart and we're, we're so kind of arrogant as humans and we think we've got it all sorted and they've got it all sorted. They've already done it all, you know, and it's uh, and it's just beneath our feet the whole time. So that, that, that kind of came into it. And then it was like, you know, I, I wanted to think about horror because I hadn't made a horror film since completely straight horror film since Kill List. And I was going back to that and what I felt about the, the move, movies I'd made and kind of how, how that kind of weird kind of twisting of um, myth, how that works as, as entertainment and how people build myths and, um, and tell themselves stories and lies and, and, you know, and how these things build up as a patina of like on culture, you know, so there was a bit of that going on, but it really it's like a it's like a kind of journey through horror, you know. So they start off as like Hansel and Gretel, and then they kind of end up as into, into Texas Chainsaw World, and then they end up into into kind of seventies British horror Doctor Who, like you say, yeah. Yeah, Nigel Neal, yeah, stuff, Nigel Neal, yeah, which is another crossover survivors and all those kind of things. yeah, 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 kind of stuff. You know? I really felt as well that there was a almost kind of like a little, I don't know, a little love letter to all your previous films just kind of slightly peppered in here as well not not all of them but kind of quite a few of them and not because Reese is in it but Field in England there was definitely a kind of I don't know a sort of a, a kind of nodding of the heart I guess basically yeah well there is maybe. that thing it's like when she goes when um um Laura goes into the at the Alma character goes into the middle of the of the fog she's confronted by a mirror you know which is <laughs> so it is a it is a thing you know it's like a reflection back on those movies and also and also it's just trying to I think there is a conversation made for me anyway between Field in England and and this film just in terms of still trying to come to terms with Field in England and what and what the experience of that was you know uh, and where that's it so that, yeah and and to kill list as well to a degree yeah can't believe Kellis is what eleven years old now. Mm, yeah. We failed. We totally failed to do the ten year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, been been kind of hard to really, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In 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 all this, I think. Let's look forward to the fifteenth, shall we? Yeah, yeah, twentieth or or twelfth. <laughs> Let's just be thirteen. Let's do thirteen. 13. Do you know what I mean? It feels right, doesn't it? <laughs> um. Andy, I wanted to ask whether this experience of having to shoot a film in the kind of restraints or constraints of a, you know, worldwide pandemic, if it did, if it was massively different in terms of producing a, a film. I think that the, the, the lucky thing is we've got a whole bunch of people that we've worked with before a lot 
there is always a kind of core team of people that kind of know us and we know them and I think they trust us not to balls it up completely and that's a very good place to start. And then after that, we, you know, the, I mean, the weirdest thing was because we basically hired a whole hotel. So it was empty. It was an empty hotel. We hired the rooms and we had to, we just had to buy the whole hotel out, which was kind of nuts. But we had to buy out when people turned up for coffee. We go, why, why are these other people here? We're supposed to be in a COVID bubble. <laughs> oh, they're just coming in for a coffee. It's like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> anyway, Would you like um, to come into the woods? <laughs> so that was, on that side, it was very, very, very scary and odd you know, on day one, it was like, is mm. this going to be a complete disaster? And obviously, you know, it, it was a low budget film, but it was still a lot of money. And, mm. you know, Neon were fantastic and trusting us to do it. You know, so there is a lot of pressure. And I mean, the pressure points were obviously the, the testing days. <laughs> when, when the results come in, you're just thinking, because I think at that point, it, it was very much like, you know, if anybody tests positive, the whole thing has to shut. Oh, God, yeah. Whereas now, I think it's, you know, it's much more like, you know, two sort of burly chaps come along and pile them into a van and then they push off and then someone else comes in, you know. So, so people have kind of got to, as you do, you know, it's like the you no know, yeah. plastic bags in the supermarket, isn't it? You moan for about three months about it. And you, actually, you actually take a plastic bag. So everyone's, you know, people are kind of managing it, aren't they? You just get used to what it is. And But at that point, you know, so that was, it was, yeah, there was a lot of pressure on that. But everybody was great. I mean, we sort of said, you know, it was a three-week shoot, and we said, you know, we don't want anyone to go home at all. And it was just like I say, it was just shot out in Henley. So everyone, most people were in London. Or, so they could have gone home, but everybody didn't. Yeah. We had the whole hotel, you know, so it was as good as we could have it, I think. And everyone was really generous to us to not do it. But then there was no option, obviously. You know, I think it was probably the first new film to be shot. Yeah, it under was. Those, yeah. You know, I to incorporate that into the storyline as well, though, you know, in a, in a really kind of subtle way, really. It's not a big part of the film at all, but it's obviously, you know, it's going on around the actual narrative. Yeah, I mean, that's, that was part of why I wrote it, that the idea that there'd been such a massive event that changed everything around us, that it made it was bizarre that, that we were still watching entertainment that didn't have any reference to it. Yeah. Um, and as time goes on, it would be interesting to see how people handle it, whether whether they will... Because it feels like it's almost a movement never to talk about it again, even though yeah. even while it's happening, you know. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Everyone says, "Oh, you know, I've got another boring lockdown pandemic film or whatever," and it's like, "Think, well, fine, yeah, sure," but you, that doesn't have to be the central tenet of what the film's about. Yeah, but the reality is that's where we all are. Yeah, you know, at some level, the first day of shooting was the the lodge at the beginning, where there's a load of people together. But <laughs> 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 we just didn't know, you know. I mean, you, yeah. you do to follow the protocols and you I mean I think we spent getting on for a quarter of the budget was PPE wow. which is a huge amount of money obviously in terms of that's it, the way it's it, got to be now isn't it really lucky yeah and everyone everyone was great and just followed the rules you know which yeah. was amazing to be honest I found it really interesting Ben when you were talking about when you were prepping the film that you looked at like the budget the framework of how Halloween was shot is that right and and kind of going well look they did that for this you know in terms of looking at the type of budget you were working with and what could be made within that kind of type of budget you know with you know taking into account inflation and all that kind of boring nonsense but but that's a really that was kind of a really interesting thing and I was just I wondered how you got to that how you got to that film and, and why you specifically why it was Halloween you looked at or were you just going through a number of films to kind of look at the kind of the kind of framework of the production and stuff yeah I mean Halloween obviously is 
like one of the main building blocks of horror or modern horror for starters. Carpenter's a genius and I love Carpenter's mm. films as well. But I think it's more that the it's the economy of it and that you can make something that doesn't, you know, I think it isn't it it's one of the most um it's up there with Blair Witch in terms of budget to profit as well. Okay. You know, as an independent movie. So it, that that that's why it's important. But it but it's when you look at it and you start to take it apart and try and work out you know physically what they did and is it possible you know when you're making movies at 11 days 15 days is it possible to make stuff that looks good and I think it is you know Mm. and certainly I've done stuff in the past where like re-engine backwards engineered movies like I I recut Terminator and tried to work out what the coverage that he shot was in Terminator by unediting it and putting it back together in its in its component parts that's amazing. Is this just a hobby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's my job. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but not director. to. But, so, but that's so, amazing. Yeah, and it's interesting when you do it because you realise how few shots are in Terminator, but just perfect shots, the right shots, you know, and you know that, and these things that are low budget but look amazing are because he, because whoever's directing it knows exactly what they're shooting, you know. But it was just really encouraging because it's like, it's that, I've had I've had it myself where you kind of make excuses why you're not doing things. You know, when I was a teenager, oh, I can never make a film because I've not got a camera. And then I borrowed a camera off someone. I was like, hmm, I can't make films because of some other reason, you know, and it's like, and it's that kind of thing. And um, but when you see like the I think I think Halloween's like 20 days or something like that. So they had a couple more days than us. But it's really wow. it's efficient. You know, it's quick. And the budget's the more the more the thing, you know, it was the same as ours. But even if you look at Taxi Driver, I think the Taxi Driver budget now is um, adjusted. I think it's $3 million now. Wow. So it's a tiny, tiny budget, yeah. I watched um, Escape from New York again recently. I hadn't watched that in years. Oh, man, it was such a... Oh, so good. That's what yeah. I've loved is being reminded of great films over the, the past... Not being able to get to the cinema as much and kind of diving back into kind of your, your DVD collection or, you know... Feeling like I think I did. I thought, oh, I'll watch all of John Carpenter's films, and then and then I did. <laughs> yeah. All the ones I hadn't seen, I was like, oh, brilliant, and really enjoyed oh. them all. Even even ones that people have been a bit snotty about, I was like, oh, this is great. What are people talking about? Yeah, Ghosts of Mars. Come on, bring it on. Brilliant. Ooh, there we go. I'm going to watch that one tonight. I haven't done that one either. Um, I listen. I'm going to let you guys go, but um, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. It's always just thank brilliant you, to get you. to so nice to get to kind of peel back the curtain a bit as well to sort of you know that that side of of the world and and being a producer but having you both on is is absolutely brilliant and I am so flipping excited about Meg too as well I know you're starting out <laughs> in January it's so exciting that you're doing it and I'm just I'm so I can't wait to see what you do with it that's what I love about you Ben one of the many things is just how much a fan of filmmaking you are and just of storytelling you know whether you're going around the making making stuff in the states and getting excited about where psycho is shot where you're shooting and all you know what i mean just the genuine right. passion and love that you have for stuff and i know that that's going to be poured into this this film as well um yeah it's really exciting and um yeah and and bonkers and like the idea you can draw something and then they'll actually build it massive <laughs> and then blow it up <laughs> my god it's like being a child it's the best thing well, that's ever. my life brilliant and well listen I hope you'll come back for a sixth sitting then because Meg too feels like a brilliant um opportunity to do that and Andy we need to get you on your own as well to dive into your your amazing collection of work so we're not that scary are we (laughs) no it's a gentle move in perhaps yeah (laughs) 
listen congratulations um on in the earth it's brilliant i really enjoyed it and thanks for giving me such a great experience at the cinema and um i hope to see you both soon yeah you too bye jen see ya bye From the score to In the Earth, That's the Woods by Clint Mansell, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Ben Wheatley and Andy Stark. My huge thanks to Ben and Andy for taking the time to talk to us on our fifth birthday. Here's to the next five years. Woohoo! In the Earth is available to watch on digital formats now, with Clint's incredible score available via our good friends at Invader Records. Big shout out to the Invader Records team as well for all their support over the last five years. And hopefully we can continue that brilliant working relationship in the future. Now, if you want to hear my previous chats with Ben and Clint, you can head to edithbowman.com where you'll be able to subscribe and search for all of our previous episodes. And you can do that via film, uh, director, just name. It's all up there. So edithbowman.com. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear, because we really rely on word of mouth and your reviews and your uh, your ratings and all that kind of thing. Because, as I said, we're a two man team and we don't have you know big budgets and marketing teams behind us. So if you like what you hear, please do spread the word. Also, uh, we have a little YouTube channel up called Soundtracking Extra. It'd be great if you could go and check that out and subscribe to it and what I've put up this week is uh, the entire unedited conversation visually with uh, the Loki director Kate Heron and composer Natalie Holt so head to our YouTube page to uh, check that out and see Kate and Natalie talk about their incredible work on the Loki series. Next up um, a man we've been trying to get on the show for quite a while actually and I know some of you will have been along to see James Gunn's version of Suicide Squad. If you listen to James Gunn's episode of this podcast, you'll have heard him talk about working with the brilliant Tyler Bates across the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Also, Chad Stahelski and Keanu Reeves talking about working with Tyler Bates on the John Wick films. And I am absolutely thrilled that we are joined by Tyler Bates on the show next week. He is a man, obviously has a massive music career, Uh, working with the likes of Bush and Marlon Manson and various others. But his film and TV and video game soundtrack are pretty impressive as well. So make sure you join us. Tyler Bates is our guest on next week's show. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.